So tonight we're going to continue with our study of understanding the gospel. And tonight's focus is the holy and righteous God. So we're going to be, as has been our practice, looking at a variety of different passages um, since this has been more of a topical study. But as we get started, I want to begin by asking a question. And that question that I have for everybody is, what attribute of God first comes to mind when you think about God? What's the first thing that pops in your head? And I think for most people, it would be the love of God. That's typically where most people go. However, that is not the focus of the Bible. While the love of God is an important topic, is an important attribute, the emphasis of God's character throughout the Bible is actually God's holiness. It's the only attribute that's elevated to the third degree. In Isaiah 6, it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We never read in the Bible, love, 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 justice, 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 goodness, goodness, goodness. It's only the holiness of God that's lifted up. And so as we need to understand the foundations of the gospel, we have to understand that God is holy and righteous. Because if we don't understand the holiness and righteousness of God, we will not understand the salvation that will be proclaimed later on. And so today, just real, our big idea, the proposition we're going to be working from is that God and his commands are holy and righteous. And therefore, you and I must obey God and his commands all the time. God is and his commands are holy and righteous. We must obey. And so the first thing I want us to look at is that God is holy. Now, this is really important to understand. Typically, when we talk about God and we talk about his attributes, we say things like God is eternal. God is unchanging. God is love. God is holy. God is righteous. But these are not different parts of who God is. God, every attribute of God, God is part of God all the time. God is always love. God is always righteous. God is always holy. So when we talk about the holiness of God, this isn't like a jacket he puts on and he thinks, I'm going to be holy now. God is always holy. And it is probably the best descriptor of all his other attributes. God's love is a holy love. God's justice is a holy justice. God's anger is a holy anger. His jealousy is a holy jealousy. And so it's a good practice, I think, of ours just to always try to preface our talk of God as the holy God. And so as we talk about God being holy, the first thing we need to understand is that because God is holy, it part of that means that God is perfect. So turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, look at verse 4 with me. The rock, talking to the Lord, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Everything that God does is perfect because God is perfect. 
There is no, how do I put it, deficiency in God. There is no imperfection in God. There is no lack in God. God is perfection. And so all that is good, there's actually, there's nothing in this world that's perfect. And as close as things come to perfect, they are still eternities away from the perfection of God because God alone is perfect. And it's because God is perfect that God is holy. And so that does take us to Isaiah chapter 6, which is an amazing picture. Isaiah 6 begins like this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Just think about this picture there. The center of it is God. And look what it says here. What, what do the angels proclaim? And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, think about this. Angels, all of us, if we saw an angel, we would be prone to want to worship it. We would fall down and worship before an angel. It would blow our minds. And angels have to cover their faces and cannot look directly upon God because he is so holy and so pure. Because God is so holy and pure, it shows us he is the standard of perfection. He is the standard of all that is good. Psalm 18, verse 30 reads, As for God, his way is blameless. Blameless. No fault can be found in God. We can't lay any blame at the feet of the Lord because he is perfect. He is good. He is holy. This perfection of God that flows from his holiness it talks about God's character and God's ways. And it stands to reason that what God does flows from who he is. And so God's will, God's works, God's ways are perfect because they reflect that attribute of his perfection. Because God is perfect and holy, he lacks nothing. Now, in today's culture, there's a lot of talk about, that's great, like, you have your God, I have my God. But there is only one true God, the God of Israel. And so not only is God the only God, but God is the uniquely only holy God. So if you turn to 1 Samuel, or I'll turn there and you guys can follow along. No, we're going through a lot of scriptures today. In the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord, 
Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. The most upright individual you meet cannot compare to the holiness of God. No one is as upright and as holy as God. Your holiness, or the most holy person you can think of, their holiness, in comparison to God, is like a drop of water in the ocean. There's no comparison. God is so great and so perfect in every way that there is no one like him, which, think about when Moses was at the burning bush. And God spoke to Moses and told Moses that he is commanded to go forth, go back to Egypt, appear before Pharaoh, and ask for the freedom and liberation of his people. And Moses asked God, who should I tell them sent me? And God reveals his covenant name, which we say Yahweh. But that means I am who I am. I am who I am. Think about this. If somebody were to say, Alex, who are you? I am a man. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a, 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 a brother. I am a son. There's reference points that I can compare myself to to tell you what I'm like. But because God is holy, God is completely other, God is completely set apart, God is perfect and beyond comparison, God simply says that I am. There is nothing we can compare God to. There is simply God who is uniquely holy. We are called holy by God in a subordinate sense. We derive some of our holiness from God, but none of us are holy in ourselves. God is holy in who he is. And because God is holy, because God is perfect, it means God will never sin. Will never sin. It also means God has, God has not ever will sin. It is impossible for the Lord to sin because for God to sin would mean he would have to cease to be God. That's like asking if either one of any of us here could ever cease to be human. You can't. It's fundamental to your nature, to who you are. God can no more sin than you can cease to be human. You turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. There's an amazing verse in the book of Habakkuk, verse in that book. Back at chapter 1, verse 13. Speaking of the Lord, look what it says here. Your eyes are too pure to approve or look upon evil. And you cannot look at wickedness with favor. God is so holy so other, so set apart, so free from sin, so blameless that his eyes cannot even look upon wickedness and evil. And that should startle us because how much wickedness and how much evil and how much sin do we put our eyes upon each and every day? If you just think about the TV shows we listen to, the commercials, the whatever's on social media, we look upon wickedness in abundance. 
God can never look upon wickedness with any delight or faith. And God never will because God is an unchanging God. God never changes. There will never be a point where God will say, you know what? I would desire to look upon wickedness. God is the unchanging God, which means he will always be holy. He will always be perfect and pure. And you and I, therefore, need to be holy. So let me try to illustrate it this way. A hospital is a place where, where cleanliness really matters. And the closer you get to the operating room, the more cleanliness is to be expected. Because if any type of impurity or contamination were to come into the operating room, infection can happen, potentially death of that person being operated on. And so there are protocols upon protocols upon protocols to keep that area free from contamination. We understand that and we, we know that's a good thing, especially if you're on the table being operated on. If doctors and medical professionals go to such extremes to keep that area free from contamination, how can you and I now realize that, that God must require and maintain an area free from sin? Sin is not only something God will never look at. Sin is not only something God will never do. There will never be sin in the presence of God. You will never find sin in, uh, sin in heaven. And God will remove sin from the earth because it is a contamination of what God created as good. For God to allow sin to remain around him, among him, would mean he would cease to be holy. This is why ultimately sin will be judged and rid because he's holy. If we have a problem with God's holiness, then we have a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. Some people think of the idea of being holy as man, like this holy lifestyle, man, that's such a downer. You can't have fun. You can't do anything in life. To follow God and be holy is so boring and lame. I used to think that way. All that's revealing, if we think that the pursuit of holiness is somehow diminishing our ability to find pleasure and satisfaction in this world, that's simply showing that you're deeper in your sin and depravity than you had ever thought. Because to say that holiness is somehow drudgery is to attack the character of God. We'll see more about that in the weeks ahead, but that was the first point, that God is holy. Secondly, we're going to talk about God being righteous, the righteousness of God. Now, this is really interesting because as we talk about righteousness, what we're saying is that God will always act in accordance with his character. God will always act righteously. Every action consistently reflects him. Or another way to say, God will always act as God. Now think about righteousness, right? Righteousness as it relates to you and me as, as people, as, as humans, 
our righteousness is always conforming to a certain standard. And so the more we, we obediently seek out to live the, the revealed will of God, the more we can say we are walking in righteousness. But God, righteousness is, doesn't operate that way. God isn't trying to conform to a certain standard. God's righteousness isn't his conformity to a standard. God's righteousness is more so a reflection of who he is. So here's a way to say that. God isn't described by righteousness as much as righteousness is described by God. Let me say that one more time. God is not described by righteousness as much as righteousness is described by God. This is why in the world we live in, we can't even talk about what is right and good apart from the Lord, because God himself is the standard of righteousness. To remove God from the conversation of righteousness is to throw away righteousness altogether. God's always going to do what's right because it's who he is. So now, how are some ways that God shows his righteousness? We're going to look at three of them real quickly. The first is righteousness flows from God's character. Turn to Psalm 7. In Psalm 7, look at verse 9 with me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous, for the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. The righteous God, it's who he is. Again, this is what we're, we were saying. It's not a standard that exists outside of God that he's conforming to. It is who he is. Or go forward just a couple to, to Psalm 11, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. You want to know how to live a righteous life? Get to know who God is. Study his character. Righteousness also is found in the ways and works of God. So again, we're in the Psalms. Just jump to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 4 says, For the the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness or uprightness. Upright, righteous. God's word and what he commands and what he does is righteous. So Psalm 145. Verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Now, it's easy to say that God is righteous in everything he does, but think about what he does. Think about what he allows. God is righteous to allow floods to happen and wipe out towns. God is righteous to allow a global pandemic to take lives beyond measure. (coughs) God is righteous to allow the Taliban to take Afghanistan. God is righteous 
to allow people to overdose. <coughs> God is righteous to take a loved one from your life. God is righteous in all he does. But because God's character is righteous, when things happen that we don't understand, rather than trying to seek the reason, we should seek his character. There are a million things in this life that will happen that we will never understand why God did them. But if we understand God is righteous and all his ways are righteous, then we can have hope and endure. And as we're going to see, that's foundational to the gospel because at face value, the slaughter, the crucifixion of Christ does not seem righteous. And yet about, it brings about the greatest righteousness for sinful men. And so his ways are righteous. And lastly, his commands are righteous. We turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. He reads this in verses 5 through 8. Verse 4. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of a fire. While I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on earth, or beneath or in the water or under the earth. I am the Lord who brought you out. God can command us to have no other God, to have no other idols, to have nothing. Why? Because he alone is a uniquely holy and righteous God. I'm sorry, I read that was Deuteronomy 5. I'm sorry. I read the wrong verse there. Um, that was the next verse I had. So now I'll go back to Deuteronomy 4. But in Deuteronomy 5, I was saying that because God can command that because of who he is. But in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8, it says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who will hear all the statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God, whenever we call on him? For what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law, which I am setting before you today? God's commands are righteous. And because his commands are righteous in Deuteronomy 5, which I jumped ahead of, we follow him alone because his commands are righteous, because he is righteous and he alone is God. Righteousness for us begins with allegiance to him. The first step in righteousness is submitting to God. Read one last verse here from Psalm 119. In Psalm 119 verse 172. Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. All your commands are righteousness. 
we need to get in line with God's commands. We need to stop fighting against them. Stop finding ways that they're unfair. We think they're unfair. Stop debating them. If they, do they apply now? Do they, maybe they're not applicable anymore. That was for then. Things change. All that God commands is righteous. And God is the unchanging God. So his commands are unchanging. And as we think about righteousness, again, let's think of a courtroom. Could you imagine if somebody were to murder my family? When we go to court and it's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that that individual was guilty and the judge were to let him go. That judge at that moment would cease to uphold the office to which he was appointed. He would cease to be a righteous judge. If we understand in the court of law, how much more God. God is holy and righteous. So when God mandates and God decrees, we submit to and don't argue against. So last, I'll wrap up here on some application. If God is holy and God is righteous and God has given us holy and righteous commands, then what do we do? We need to understand that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. If we are going to live before a holy and righteous God, that means we must prepare ourselves. Right? There's a certain preparation. I was actually having a conversation earlier today that if you're going to, if, if, if you were invited to the White House, there's a certain preparation to make sure that you appeared before the president rightly. You've prepared yourself. If we are going to appear before a holy and righteous God, we need to do some self-examination and preparation. Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. Moses said the burning bush again. Look what it says here. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place which you are standing is holy ground. Moses had to take off his sandals before approaching God. He, he couldn't just stroll into God's presence. And we've become far too casual with God in today's culture. I get so sometimes sinfully frustrated when I hear people say, the first thing I'm going to do when I see God is run up and give him a hug. Like that is one of the most ignorant things. Somehow, you're going to run up and give him a hug. When every other person biblically sees God and falls upon their face in worship, John, is, John in the book of Revelation is scared. He's like, what do I do? That shows that we are not understanding that there's a certain preparation of the soul that we have to have before we come into the presence of God. He is holy. We're not going to run up and give him a hug. We're going to fall on our face in fear and worship. Moses had to take sandals off, but we are not better than Moses. Secondly, because God is holy and righteous, his holiness should be seen or evident among his people. Leviticus 19, verse 2. 
speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You and I, we looked at, are made in the image of God. We were meant to reflect him. And so if God is principally holy in all that he is, then likewise, to be made in his image and reflect his image means that we too should be a holy people. <coughs> this isn't simply an Old Testament thing. Sometimes people say, well, that's the Old Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. A holy calling. We have been called to be set apart. You know, the people say, if it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you look like the world and walk like the world, then you're probably of the world. Now, I'm not saying any of us will be perfectly holy, but the overall trajectory of our life should be one that increases in holy and righteousness. You should be more holy today than you were last year. Worldliness should be falling off of you and righteousness should be growing on you. This is something that I think is being lost rapidly in our churches. The idea of pursuing holiness. We've taken the grace of God and we've abused it. God's grace was always meant to lead us to repentance, Paul says in Romans 2. God's grace was always meant to enable us and empower us to grow in the holiness of God. And yet today to talk about holiness is somehow to be a legalist. To talk about holiness is almost viewed as unloving and scandalous. To, talk, to, to, to go to your brother or your sister and to say, hey, you're living in sin and you need to cut that off and pursue holiness is viewed as judgmental. No, that's just biblical. We have to be a holy people. And I know all of us have more than enough areas of our life that are not holy. But we should be earnestly contending with all our strength to, to, to put those things to death and allow holiness to grow there. Your heart is a garden and you need to pull those weeds out if you want that garden to grow flowers of holiness. Because if not, the weeds of the world are just going to choke it out. And so we must be a holy people. Not just individually, but as a church. The church is the bride of Christ. And I'm so thankful that Christ is committed to sanctifying, to making his bride holy, that he doesn't leave it to our own efforts. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't require any effort. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He 
people are more concerned with being a cool church than a holy church. They're more concerned about growing crowds than growing in righteousness. And people somehow think that just because your church is big that it's pleasing to God. Your church may be big because it's swollen. I'd rather have a holy church of 10 than a cool hip church of 10,000. We need to be a holy people. And it's really easy to tell who, who wants that. Bring up the conversation of holiness in the Christian walk and see who rolls their eyes. People who rolls their eyes and people who want nothing to do with it. If you roll your eyes in holiness, you need to check to see if you're saved. It's just the reality. Because to roll your eyes at holiness means that you don't understand foundationally who God is. So you're rolling your eyes at the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Let's start verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. Well, God's holy, so are we imitating his holiness? As beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ has also loved you, and gave himself up for you as an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immortality, immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. At some point, I would hope to do a deep dive on holiness. I recommend the book JC, Holiness by J.C. Ryle. But a Christian who does not contend for holiness needs to do business with the Lord. And holiness requires effort. The last verse we'll look at today comes from 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in, by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Say that again. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Diligent. Put the effort in. You have to work at it. You don't become holy by osmosis. God empowers you by his grace. In Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. There is a, a, an amazing, beautiful mystery there that God is the one bringing it about, and yet we have to put in the effort. Maybe the work of holiness isn't fun, but the fruit of it is sweet. I can guarantee you pursuing holiness isn't fun because it hurts. You're confronting your sin. You're killing your sin. I heard one pastor say, the pursuit of holiness is learning to put your darlings to death. Because you love your sin. I love my sin. And so you have to kill what you love in the flesh. God commanding us to be holy through his word and righteous through his word and his works is not a joy kill. It's for our good. So let me close with this illustration. If my son, who loves cars, wanted to grab my keys right now at seven years of age and drive, would it be okay for him to do so? Of course not. Right? Because in order to drive, he must be older, he must be, big, he must be bigger, he needs to com 
complete driving school, show himself approved under supervision, right? There are a, a set of rules and boundaries in place for his safety and well-being. Nobody thinks that's oppressive or legalistic or wrong. But God's the same way has given us his holy and righteous commands for our safety and good. If my son at seven years old can't drive a car because it's beyond him right now, and he has to submit to that, then why do we kick our, why do we shake our fist at the Lord when he gives us commands that you can't do this either? When men and women shake their fist at God because of his commands, they're throwing spiritual temper tantrums. We need to just understand that God, simply by virtue of being God, has the right to command us to be holy and righteous and say no. We need to get into the habit as followers of Christ to know that others can, but we cannot. Your pursuit of holiness and righteousness will be directly reflective of your ability to enjoy Christ and enjoy this life. God is holy and righteous. And that is foundational to understanding the gospel. With that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the fact that you are a holy and righteous God. Lord, we thank you that you are the standard of holiness, the standard of righteousness. There is no standard outside of you that you conform to. Rather, Lord, righteousness and holiness are described by you. And I thank you, Lord, that even though we fall so short, as we will see in greater measure here in the weeks ahead, we do thank you, Lord, looking forward, that you and your grace have called us to be holy and blameless, to be righteous and upright before you. We know we do so by us conforming to your standard, which is your character. Father, I pray this week that you would help us identify the unholy thoughts, words, and deeds of our lives, and give us the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to put him to death with the word of God, which is a sword. Help us not do this begrudgingly, but give us a joy and a delight in putting sin to death and growing in holy and righteousness. And help us, Father, love you more because you are holy and righteous. Father, we don't want to be holy and righteous just to have fire insurance and escape judgment. We want to be holy and righteous because we want to be able to enjoy more of you and be like you. And so open our eyes and give us a bigger vision of who you are. Allow us to see, Lord, that holiness is a beautiful promise because you are the holy and unchanging God. You never have to worry about you losing your cool. You never have to worry, Lord, about a flash of anger. It's unmerited. Because you are holy and righteous, you will always do what is right and good and pure. Let us find hope in that. In Jesus' name, amen.